0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests to talk about insurance. Uh, Karn Soroya, founder and CEO of Cover, who I'm lucky to be, be an investor, and Shiel Minat, uh, investor in fintech and insurance, uh, who I'm lucky enough to be a friend. Guys, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks Thanks, thanks for having us. us.
0: Karn, why don't you tell the audience what is Cover and why did you start it?
1: Sure. Uh So Cover is a multi-line national insurance entity. Our customers take pictures and videos of things they want to insure using our mobile apps, uh, and we get them insurance. So we are a marketplace for risk, operate in 49 states, work with 30 different carrier partners, are, and are standing up some of our own insurance products
0: simultaneously. How did you navigate the idea maze that is any company you could have started in insurance?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, myself, my co-founders have been building uh, consumer-facing products, specifically native mobile products, for uh, a number of years now. Uh, prior to, to Cover, we built a company called Stylekick, which sold high-end fashion uh, on the internet. It's a native mobile app. Uh grew that to about a million active users. That was featured in 80 countries on the front page of the App Store, translated into 14 languages. So we got very good at building sexy uh, consumer-facing experiences and finding significant distribution for them. And so we that that company ended up uh, joining Shopify. And while we were at Shopify running a mobile product team, you know, we were exploring a variety of different verticals that we thought we would want to build into. You know, we knew we wanted to build a consumer-facing product. We we knew that we wanted to do native mobile again. Uh, so we built things in healthcare, again in entertainment, insurance really resonated with us. Outside of my insurance expertise, prior to tech, I was a managing consultant at Oliver Wyman. You know the the basic economic model makes tons of sense for us. It's a it's a cons- it's a business with consumer scale, but best in class SaaS type economics, and that was really, really what drew us to
0: the space. And how did the idea evolve since since starting Cover?
1: Yeah, so when we first started. Uh, you know, we, we joined Y Combinator, uh, basically the idea stage. And all we wanted to do was prove that we could drive significant distribution, uh, via our apps. And we did that. Um, you know, we ended up, uh, on the front page of the app store within a couple of weeks of having joined YC, driving tens of thousands of new customers a day. And, you know, could show that we could build a sizable insurance business. So we started as a lead gen business, quickly realized that selling leads, uh, is a kind of a scummy business. Um, and so, you know, you can't translate that into the lasting type of brand value you need to build around yourself to build a sustainable insurance business. And so we eventually stood up a national insurance brokerage, I think in record time um, across the country, picking up 30 carrier appointments uh, in just under a year. Uh, and now we're moving a little bit further and standing up some of our own products. So the arc has been pure distribution, moving towards underwriting.
0: Sheil, you're an entrepreneur, investor, been in fintech for a long time. How have you thought about uh insurance uh and opportunities there in and how has that evolved over time?
2: Yeah, so let's let's talk about how, how it's evolved because what's interesting is just just like a few years ago, there wasn't that much going on in insure tech. Like this whole word I never heard of three years ago, and now there's a conference with thousands of attendees. So I think like if you looked at like sort of three or four years ago. I can't think of what – what were the insurance companies at that time? I guess, like, there were health insurance companies. So, like, Oscar had already yeah. started.
1: Yeah. On, on the property side, there were legacy folks, like Coverhound. Yeah. Uh, that's the most notable. Zebra, which – Zebra uh, started, yeah, yeah, six years ago. Yeah. And they – you know, I think they started again as lead gen and eventually yep. a broker. Now they're a hybrid of that. Uh, but it wasn't a, – it's
2: a pretty nascent space. Like, all of these MGAs, managing general agents, like, there were very – like, managing general agents have been around for a long time. But these startups using – and MGA, to basically jumpstart their activity, really only s- I started seeing them three years ago. And now in every category in insurance, it seems like we have multiple startups. Like, I think we could probably name, like, in life, I could think of, like, ethos, fabric, ladder. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Anyway, there's, there, a, bunch. there's a bunch, right? Like, in, in any category. Home, so PNC, life, like, every category, there are a bunch of different players. Most of them are really digital distribution of a similar product to what you could get elsewhere. What you could get elsewhere though really sucks. Like if you, if you've ever had to buy insurance, it's a pretty miserable process. For, for my house in, in San Francisco, when I bought insurance four years ago, it took me like hours of time on the phone to get insured. And that actually hasn't changed that much. And if you think about like how other industries have digitized over time, it actually is shocking that in insurance, most people still use brokers. So like, I think in auto, it's something like 60% of people still use brokers in, or agents rather, 60% of people still use agents. In homeowners, it's over 90% still use agents. In commercial, it's nearly 100% use agents. So like, agents in other parts of our lives, like travel, for example, have been completely disintermediated almost. And it doesn't necessarily make sense that they have not been in insurance. So I think people saw this opportunity like oh there's a ton of huge insurance companies buying insurance is terrible and the people coming of age uh, especially coming of age in mobile like are now having to buy insurance and that's why like cover cover makes sense so people a few years ago saw these opportunities and now very quickly in the last 3 years there've been there's been a massive amount of coverage and there are startups in nearly every sector and if you have to break them down there's a few different ways you can break them down you could say like PNC, which is property and casualty, um, which is like homeowners, auto that co- goes under there. There's life insurance, health insurance, and then commercial insurance are probably like the the broad categories. You could also break it down into how they're distributing. So there's there are companies that are just digital distribution of the same product. They could be a agent. They could be a broker. They could be a what's called a managing general agent, which is Gives you somewhat the appearance of being your own insurance company as a carrier, but without the large amount of pool of reserves you need to have. You actually have a reinsurance company behind you that actually is doing all of the risk taking. And then you could be a carrier. Not many companies have gone the carrier route. It requires a large pool of capital. And also historically, like we know how carriers trade and like they trade on their book and it's not a great... It tends to be not great valuations because they're so capital intensive.
1: Yeah. Um, and which is why actually you see most, uh, most startups who have gone to carry route, see risk like the vast majority of their risk to reinsurance panels anyways. So they're acting as MGAs, but with the admitted paper.
2: Yeah. I mean, and speaking of paper, I don't know if we want to go into like the details no, of like please. reinsurance. Oh, uh, please. Let's get it a primer. So I don't know. Carden, you want to go?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, let's just extend the idea The the reinsurers are probably acting as the most sophisticated players in this space. And so you see folks like Munich actively investing, uh, you yeah. know, across the value chain, both providing reinsurance capacity as well as paper. So this means that, uh, you know, folks who are, um, you know, relatively sophisticated distributors of insurance can rely on these folks now uh, to be, act- you know, for support designing um, and actually backing some of these products it's it's been an interesting you know couple of years in that you've seen most insur techs who are not just dis- directly distributing insurance as, as brokers almost leapfrog primaries entirely yeah that that's been one of the interesting consequences of what I think, at least what i've seen over the course of the last two years and then reinsurance brokers similarly the folks who are helping to place reinsurance risk uh with reinsurance carriers have also i think been
2: somewhat disintermediated in this way yeah. that's what that's what i've been seeing Sort of one thing I actually thought about just based on what I said earlier about like how everyone's still using agents. It's actually not everybody. Like I said, in auto, it's, it's like 60 to 70%. And the companies that went direct only went direct in the past 20 years. And they're companies that everyone's heard of, Geico and Progressive. Those companies have done incredibly well and they went direct like in the mid to late nineties and Geico was a nobody at that time. And now they're probably number two after Allstate in auto. And so going direct has been incredible for these companies. Yet all of these other insurance companies are not going direct. Isn't that weird?
1: Yes. Why not? I mean, there are are a couple of reasons for that, right? The first is that for these these folks that distribute through independent agents, it's defined CAC business, right? They know exactly what they pay. Agents... Uh, and so, if you know exactly what you pay, you know what the LTV of that customer is. You can do the backwards math and make it uh, make sense for you.
2: And that's their customer. Their customer yeah. is not you, the end customer. They're selling Correct. to their agents, Correct. either captive or not.
1: Yeah, um, so, you know, it gives them it gives them a footprint on the ground. It gives them easy visibility in local neighborhoods. But I mean, if you if you know you want to contrast that the example with the example of Geico, you no know, Geico is very happy running hot so it can ex- it can squeeze its expense ratio. Yeah. Like the, the expense ratio component um you know of that ECNOC model typically will incorporate the cost of Oh, let's yeah. let's talk about expense ratio or loss ratio. You want to Sure, sure. So in like let's talk about pro- like property and casualty as a style as an yeah. example, right? You know, Geico, Progressive, these guys are going to be running in the 70s across their auto book of business. They're they're trying to keep their oh, yeah, sorry. Why don't so we explain what, what, what is a loss ratio? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so th- so think of it this way. You give me a dollar and I give you seventy cents back in perpetuity. That's a loss ratio. So it's like, what is a what is the proportion of the dollar that you paid into uh, via premium that's paid out in claims? The rest. So, of so the it,
2: example would be like yeah. you you spend a thousand dollars a year on your auto. Let's say, and then so what he's saying is your loss ratio is the claims that they pay out on your behalf. So 70 cents of that is used to pay off claims and then there's administrative overhead mm-hmm. which is then combined to be what's called a combined ratio.
1: Right. So LAE and other operating expenses are going to take you to about a dollar or to, to par generally speaking.
2: So most people are surprised by this but insurance companies generally don't actually make money on that side of the business. Like the insurance companies exist to gather a large pool of capital. And then they invest that capital and that's actually how they make money.
1: Yeah. So, so if you're a carrier, this is more like a float maximization problem, right? It's like how much cash can you get flowing through your business and then can you invest it in lever that that's effectively the business, which is actually very different. Uh, from what most startups are doing at this point, yeah. which is they are either trying to make money on distribution or they're trying to make money by squeezing out a couple points of margin on the underwriting side. That's, that's their ultimate goal as it stands. But when they're writing $20 billion of business a year, the actual model starts to change to, yeah. Hey, we can start to continuously lower our prices, squeeze our expenses, run at nearly a hundred where, you know, every single dollar is being eaten up by either claims or operating expenses and, and maximize float. That's the, that's a typical model, which is actually why, you know, insurance companies don't have the multiples, as sheel alluded to, that make uh, them super attractive.
2: But that does mean that there's an opportunity because like there's such low margin businesses, they are actually like no margin businesses that if you can save them a point or two, there's an opportunity. There's, that's a
0: big lever for them. Maybe it might be helpful to go through each of the different subsectors, talk about, how they work, what are the challenges to building a company in the space, and what are the sort of the opportunities or white space or approach that one might take if they're trying to build uh, a company in one in of
1: space? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm happy to take you through the arc of brokers, MGAs, carriers. Yeah. So, you know, brokers are, are folks who are selling, uh, you know, other people's insurance, right? And so you'd be working with progressives, safe travelers of the world. And that, that you know, uh, is appealing because, you know, It's a defined economics business. You know exactly what you're, you're making as a, uh, as a percentage of the, of dollars that you pull in and it's in perpetuity. You own the business. Uh, So say I were to sell a progressive uh, policy to you. I'd make, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15% of that policy in perpetuity for the life of the business. I don't take any balance sheet risk. There aren't really any repercussions or material repercussions for me. Uh, Should you be a bad risk? Uh, If I keep writing bad business, I eventually don't. Self progressive. Uh, that's the extent of you know yeah. the, the challenges that brokers have with dependencies on uh, on incumbent carriers. So if you move upstream of that, uh, she alluded to managing general agents. Um, and so the the way that's structured is you can design the insurance product, um, you can file the insurance product using something called a fronting carrier. And so these these carriers exist uh, for the purpose of renting out a license, effectively. So they charge anywhere between three and five percent. Uh, of underlying premiums, which is such a stupid business.
2: It's just uh, <laughs> it's just a regulatory play. Yeah, it's yeah. So silly.
1: um So there are a fair number, like there are a fair number of these guys, and they've you know kind of uh, come in vogue with this insure tech wave because they, yeah. typically speaking, weren't you know utilized to the extent that they are. They can they can have a couple of programs per state.
2: Um, you say there's a fair number, but actually there aren't enough. So like now with these new companies, because you can only, in a particular state, you can only sell one type of. Right. Yeah. You can have
1: like two auto programs or one home program. And so, you know, there have been a fair number actually that are being spun up now because they're fee earning businesses, right?
2: Yeah. They're not, they're not going to be venture scale businesses.
1: Yeah, like, for example, State National was yeah, totally. purchased by Markel yeah. for, for $900 million. And it charges 5%, it takes no risk, it charges yeah. 5%. So anyways, like, startups will, will contract out with these, these fronting carriers, sort of simply the right to s- sell insurance in a given state. And so insurance is regulated on a state by state basis, you gotta do this in every state. Unless that carrier has a license in every state. And if you and if she alluded to, if you're not taking balance sheet risk, you need to somehow find somebody who will take the risk on all the products that you write. So if you're writing a homeowner's product like Hippo, uh, or a renter's product like Lemonade, you don't want to be raising the capital. Well, you certainly don't want to be raising venture capital to fund anything outside of you know operating losses while you grow. Uh, you don't want to be holding vent- the, the funds you raise via venture, uh, you know, for regulatory purposes to the extent you don't have to. Um, and so, you know, they'll they'll go out to the reinsurance market, they'll work the Munich Rees, Swiss Rees, Odysseys, partneries of the world, who are effectively just very large pools of capital and contract out with them to take on all the risk. Uh, and so they'll absorb the losses, the startup that collects the premium will pass on part of that premium, and again, earn def- defined economics, generally speaking. If they outperform, they can, they can earn more. If they, they underperform, they, there may be a slide down. And then the reinsurers themselves, well, we ignored reinsurance brokers because they're not really meaningful to this conversation. But the reinsurers themselves, you know, if they have concentrated positions, may, you know, go on and sell that risk further. Uh, so you have folks that are you can retrocession. So you have retros. Uh, then you have folks like Ledger who are, are making a market for things like insurance, like securities that tie this all together into capital markets. So it's like a, it's this crazy ass chain that's like, you know, Potentially lead gen brokers, wholesale brokers, uh, MGAs and carriers, reinsurance brokers, reinsurers, retros. There's there's like, like seven different bodies on the take between somebody trying to sell a dollar risk and somebody trying to buy a dollar risk. That it, needs to be so tricky. complicated. It really doesn't. It, it you know if if you if you boil it down to effectively what it is, these guys are white collar bookies, right? They're, yeah. they're they're taking bets on you know what the, what they think will outperform. Um, and so, if it, if you if you boil it down further, it's like really just a prediction market. It's right? totally a prediction. Uh, market. And so, you know, if that's how you view it, eventually, you know, each of these individual bodies that were created, you know, largely largely as checks and balances, you know, to make sure that rates were adequate and people weren't uh, being discriminated against across the insurance value chain, you know, you will come up with a very efficient mechanism at some point or another that matches a dollar risk being being sold and one being bought. That will just happen. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't bode well for the entire insurance value chain. But for real, like you don't need seven bodies taking a slice of every dollar. Like
2: if, if you look at insurance historically, it wasn't this complicated, right? Like it was like the Greeks were originally like pulling capital together amongst in their village to like right. make sure that people were, were protected. And then a long time later in London, there was Lloyd's and Lloyd's was insuring sh- ships it is cafe and then it became Lloyds of London, which now insures like everything. I think one of the things that's interesting about, about what Karn said is, is talking about how it relates to prediction marketplaces. And that's really, really what it is if you boil it down to it. And there are all these companies, I think one sector that is potentially interesting is uh, it's called parametric insurance. So parametric insurance just means like, I'll insure you around a defined parameter. So for example, let's use crop insurance. Your, your farm is in this particular place. If it doesn't rain X amount of inches during this amount of time, we'll have that from satellite data. If it doesn't rain, you get paid automatically. And what's nice about it is there's no admin. There's no overhead. It's just a parameter and then it gets applied. So it's like, it's very much like a prediction marketplace. Like you just have to be betting on whether that thing is going to happen or not. I just saw this recently. Do you guys know Augur? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I always thought like a blockchain-based solution could make sense. I haven't seen a company that's tried to do this that was actually like I could get behind enough to invest in. But there seems to be an opportunity there. But with Augur specifically, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was a betting marketplace on the election on this most recent election. Did you guys see this? No. I'm a legacy in-trade user, so uh,
1: I'm very familiar with this. But okay. Okay.
2: But, so what what happened was there was a a prediction marketplace and I think it said uh, or will the Democrats control the House after the November 2018 election it ended last week and the Democrats do not control the House right now now the intent of the prediction was to say will they control the House in January when it turns over but as of right now they don't control the House so as a parametric mm-hmm. deal they don't control the House right now And so it's basically like garbage in, garbage out. Like as the setup was poor, the outcome was poor. Right. How do you
0: think blockchain or blockchain related projects can disrupt insurance?
1: Talking to some of my reinsurer buddies, like parametric is probably the first, the yeah. first place that this is going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen in admitted insurance markets. So yeah. there's a distinct, there's a distinction between admitted and non-admitted insurance. Admitted markets are where you're regulated, you know, by like a sovereign effectively. So it's either a country, depending on which country you are, or the state, if you're in the United States. And there's just no chance that, you know, th- th- this is, this is not like, Uber or Lyft where you're enter, you know, you have a huge balance sheet, you enter the market and you compete the municipality, you just can take them to court. The state will put you in an orange jumpsuit. You're not going to be able to win admitted markets where it's regulated at the state level, but you probably can win or start designing something in something called the surplus lines or the non-admitted market. And so You know, let's talk about surplus lines like Lloyd's. We're talking about really uh, idiosyncratic risks. You're trying to uh, insure an oil tanker against some sort of spillage. Or they Uh, famously insured J-Lo's ass. Yeah, yeah. stuff, Stuff like that. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't otherwise fit neatly inside of a, you know, a, a, a easily measurable box. Uh, and, and generally speaking, this kind of stuff falls well outside of the scope of, you know, the regulatory frameworks that's, that exist in the United States or the UK, Australia. Um, that's likely where it's going to happen largely because you can operate in the gray area, uh, when it comes to those markets.
2: Yeah. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity internationally. Like as we saw in like lending, for example. So like, in lending in the U.S., there aren't that many opportunities to innovate because there's like Fair Credit Reporting Act and all these things that regulate how you can underwrite somebody for their loan. In Africa and lots of Asia, none of that exists. So you can do all sorts of cool stuff uh, with data that you can't do in insurance. And I think the same is true with this stuff. Like, there's a lot of opportunity internationally that
0: there is not here. So let's go through some of the sectors you mentioned earlier when you talk about car, auto, home, PNC, like Opportunity? How do those spaces work? What are the opportunities there? We're yeah, sure. Examples of companies you like?
2: So, so let's let's say like one I don't like, I typically have not liked, and I don't know, maybe Conrad disagree with me. Like, I've never liked renters insurance as a category. And Lemonade is obviously a huge company. Like, actually, tremendous innovation on product side there. But it's not huge. So <laughs> it's, it's like it, it yeah. is. Well, they have innovated both on the insurance side yeah. and on the to consumer side. Yeah. yeah. I look. I think. I think
1: they have. One of the things that insure Techs have done really well is they continue to deliver on the product and consumer experience, yes. right? Like I think over time, great product teams will craft great product experiences and, you know, all of the nonsense, the block and tackle stuff that insurance companies do terribly will go away uh, yeah. in lieu of what folks like like us build. But I agree completely with you. Renters as a business makes no sense unless unless it's uh, – but let's think about it this way, right? Like you charge – six bucks a month or seven yeah. bucks a month for insurance. You earn twenty percent of that before interchange fees. Uh yeah. you know, so you're earning maybe a dollar per month, twelve dollars a year, and your CAC is hundreds of dollars. Your payback period is forever. Yeah. Like you're you're just never gonna be able to make the math work unless you take a longer view, which is a po- like you know, a possibility, which is you hey, sell other stuff. Gonna, yeah, sell other stuff. But that's the playbook for every financial services yeah. company that's ever existed. Yeah. Right, yeah.
2: So to renters are a great use. So renters, I never understood these companies that started renters insurance companies or these folks that fund them, whatever. It, it never made sense to me. I think every other category I actually think is interesting. Yeah. And in renters, it's just like the dollar amounts are too low. Life is a is a particularly interesting one. Like we've had, uh first of all, far fewer people get life insurance than did in the past, which generally means it's like less appealing. Right. But- in this case, a lot of the life insurance companies are actually trying to do something else and then tack on life mm-hmm. and find you at the right time. It's all about finding you at the right time. And one in my portfolio that I, that I think is really interesting is it's called Mira Financial. They work with diabetics. They take existing, existing life insurers. When a diabetic comes in the door, they have a really, t- a really tough time underwriting diabetics. So they oftentimes won't. And they'll say, like, you can't get insurance through us. Or you have to fill out 40 more pages of of crap. So Mira says, hey, we'll take these diabetics. We'll put them on a plan that, like, they have to wear wearable and a few other things like that. And we can underwrite whether their diabetes is controlled or not based on that. So it's actually a new product in life. I like that. There's another company called Health IQ that's doing something very similar. But actually, Health IQ started out, actually, so Mira is underwriting people who are perceived to be sick, but actually better than they're perceived to be. Health IQ is saying, we'll go after vegans. They're like a really good risk. So they're going after like ultra premium risk. And so Mira is actually the opposite. But now Health IQ is going after that sector too. So anyway, life insurance, interesting sector. Homeowners is an interesting sector as well. I think in many markets, it's heavily competitive. In some markets, it's not at all. So coastal areas have had a lot of trouble, especially in recent years, like Texas and Florida in particular have gotten hammered with hurricanes in the last couple of years. California has had these fires this year and that is going to be a big, a big opportunity actually for companies in California because whenever you have a claim, you sort of reassess which insurer you're going with. And also now all these companies will refile rates for next year. So there's a actually an opportunity in homeowners yeah. that's larger than it was in years past. Yeah,
1: this actually speaks like to to a broader theme. Like the the insurance companies of in the past that have grown to like considerable size, you know, some have attempted to like underprice a commoditized market yeah. and pick up market share, and that rarely mm-hmm. yeah. ever works. It's like you blow yourself up in lending, you blow exactly. yourself up in insurance, but it's really in high risk scenarios. So for example, homeowners, uh, you know being completely repriced because of, because of catastrophic risks, you're going to see a bunch of these existing insurance companies pull out of markets like California uh, and then an opportunity open up for folks who have some sort of edge to be able to price and pick up tons of market share. Happens in every vertical actually. So it's lot like Mira, right? It's like, yeah. hey, if a traditional insurance company is not willing to write it, well, the risk has a price. So And if you're willing to do the work to figure out what
2: that price is, you can pick up the market. Right. And like... In Florida, for example, like after the hurricanes, I think this year, something insane, it's like over 10% of people in Florida got like, we're not renewing your insurance notice. Mm-hmm. Like imagine how devastating that is if you're you're just like, and you have to give like a 90 day notice. So like in 90 days, all these people won't have insurance. So like anybody who can get them insurance can make a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. And they can basically name their price, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> at, at that point. Uh, which is not all that different. Like, it happens everywhere. It happened in auto insurance, too. Progressive built itself up, uh, by writing high risk, right? Yeah. And so they're, like, one of the things that they're famous for is, uh, writing DUIs, right? So the, the insight that they had was a single DUI might be a mistake and we'll write it. But two DUIs, that's a
2: pattern. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, if you can find these patterns, that's where the opportunity is. So like, like Karn said, like, that's what it was for progressive and like, it's actually like the same business as like Capital One in lending. That's what Capital One did in lending, and that's what Progressive did. And and so dance.
0: who's the Geico and Progressive of today? I mean, what are some of the most exciting, inspiring companies in insurance that you think twenty years from now will be? So I think the made? closest
2: to Geico would be Clearcover.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, clear. So Kyle, super sharp guy. You know, emulating Geico in a number of ways, entirely direct to consumer, uh, digital distribution. I mean, Root is emulating, I think, progressive, but they have like a, they have like this random
2: factor that they apply that's causing them to lose a lot of money. (laughs) So, so what he's talking about is when you sign up to get insurance through Root, they actually like give you like a test. So you, you, they like follow you driving for a couple of weeks and then assess your risk based off of that. So it's like a, a new insurance product. And my hunch is that it must just crush conversion.
1: Well, they're inverse related, so the lower your price, the higher your conversion, the lower the lower your cost of acquisition. The challenge with that business is like there's this huge adverse selection bias. To like, if you're if you're willing to wait a month for a quote, it, it, like there's a certain type of customer that is willing to do that, and they tend to be super high risk, which is not a bad thing. Again, if you price correctly for them, but but, but then it's tough to they do. have
2: their monitoring your driving thing. So like yeah. presume so you're saying, if I understand it, you're saying that these high risk customers. Are drive behaving well during that month, and then it's going to misbehave. It's, it's not
1: just that. Okay, right? generally speaking, people think of insurance as a nuisance, right? Yeah. So, so if you're now catering towards folks who are willing to put up with it for a month, it's a there's an adverse. But, like but,
2: but know, I think so what so they so. would say is actually like a great customer. Mm-hmm. It's no sweat off their back. Like they're, they're already insured. They can have this running in their car and see if they can get better, a better deal. Yeah. So like they also have the cream. They have a great customer base as well.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. But if you take a look at their reviews, it's like I had multiple DUIs and multiple, okay. Full, okay. Full, full, okay. and Root came in and cut prices. Cool. So I haven't customers. looked at their reviews. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So like there's that, which is a challenge. I think, I think eventually, look, like they're, again, they're another classic example, I think, of a, a, a good product company. Like they're delivering on the experience. Uh, The nice part about all of this is like they have enough time to recalibrate. right? And a shitload of money. Yeah, exactly.
0: What are some of the other sort of unicorns in the space we talked about? Oscar, that's in health insurance. Obviously, there's Metro Mile. I don't know if it's a unicorn. What are some of the biggest companies?
2: Yeah. In in auto, the companies are just just like Metro Mile, ClearCover, Root. Root actually is a unicorn now, which is crazy. Didn't exist a couple years ago. In homeowners, there's Lemonade, Hippo, and Kin. Yeah.
1: And there there are a couple of others popping up that are focused on coastal states. But yeah. uh, but I think like Hippo is doing exceptionally well. Yeah. Can I know less about Lemonade? I think is still focused on renters. No, they, they do homeowners and renters. They do, but it's a very small part of their book.
2: But yeah. I think it's just like they're advertising everywhere yeah. and $5 renters insurance. And so homeowners is a small part of their book, but I mean the goal is for them to do more
0: homeowners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what separates these companies? Um Is it distribution strategy? Is it product? Is it, what is it?
1: I mean, it's a, a mix of all of these things. Like HIPPO will distribute, it will have, it has its own direct-to-consumer, um I guess, business, but it distributes through traditional agents as well. Limited is ardently, you know, direct-to-consumer only, will not distribute through brokers, but they do have, you know, these things like marketing affiliate agreements with folks who run HOAs, um, uh, things like that. Yeah, clear cover will distribute through folks like us. So we sell clear cover, for example, but not through traditional brokers.
2: Yeah. And so clear cover, clear cover is like the Geico, which is like mm-hmm. low cost leader. Have yep. you found it to be the case? Like, okay. are they cleaning up in the, in the markets that they're in with you uh, guys? So
1: they're very competitive. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. It's still very early days. Yeah. Um, of uh, you know, I, I have a lot of faith in that team. Yeah. Uh, to be able to figure it out, but it's, it's way too early to be able to tell. Like they, they haven't had a book season over. Yeah. A reasonable period of time, yeah.
0: So let's say we were running a, a VC fund solely focused on companies in insurance, either directly or peripherally involved. Karn, what, what would be your thesis?
1: Yeah, so so the thing that I would look for, and actually I don't see very much of in insure tech, is you know, does a basic economic model make sense, or is it does it like is it close yet? Um, and so you need to do two things to survive as an insurance entity. The first is be able to co- acquire good risks at a reasonable cost. Uh, and again, that reasonable cost scales with whatever your, your anticipated premium looks like. So, if it's a five dollar renters policy, you can't pay that much to acquire. If it's an eighteen hundred dollar auto policy, you can pay a little bit more. If it's a um, you know a home in a cat state, and it's a, you know a thousand to two thousand dollars, you can acquire for for quite a bit. So, you have to be able to acquire good risks at reasonable cost, uh, and you have to be able to underwrite those risks to a profit. Uh, to survive in the long run.
2: So Karen's saying you want a company that can make money. Correct.
1: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he, he, he would like to invest in companies that can make money.
0: But, and you're not seeing a lot or, of it. Or,
1: and, and I, well, it's challenging, right? Like, you take a look at the CACs, they're astronomical. Um, you take a look at the loss runs, again, they're astronomical, right? Like, yeah. it's, it, it's not like you can take corrective action immediately. There are states in, you know, there are states that will limit your ability to, to, to raise prices. So in California, you know, let's say you're running at 150% loss ratio. That's your You're put, you're, you know, putting out a $1.50 in claims for every dollar premium you're pulling in. The max rate hike you could take is 8%. Like, you know, uh, on every renewal cycle, it's going to take you years before you can break even, right? right? And so there really is no, there is no acceptable CAC, uh, for somebody that you cannot underwrite at a profit. Uh, so the goal as for any insurance company is to again price correctly and price at a profit. Yeah. Uh, it's not yet happening.
2: Yeah. Um, How about well, I also like businesses that make money. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think aside from that, you know, I think like I think there still is like is an opportunity in in better data. Yeah. Better data, like obviously it's like buzzword of the of the years, but you actually can use it for for customer targeting and for underwriting, and very few companies have yet done this effectively. Are there any
0: examples of companies you've seen that have you know uh, incorporated better data, applied better data? Uh, sure. And what are examples that you could see in the future?
2: Sure. So some of the some of these companies we're talking about uh, that do like coastal insurance think that they have better underwriting models, and it could be that like it could be that your your model is is ass- assessing somebody based on their zip code. And really, it should be on a house level. Like, is there a mountain between you and the coast that, that like is the, is the big danger? Like you might be in the same zip code as somebody else, but with totally different risk. Right. And so there are companies doing that in commercial. I saw a company that actually like takes all this external data about, about a place like Yelp and TripAdvisor pictures and like will assess whether your floor is slippery. Like, I don't know if that's if that works or not, but actually like, I talked to reinsurers and they say like the model really works and I'm shocked by it. But hey, that's amazing if it does. So I think there are plenty of opportunities like this that we're in the early innings of. And then I just want my life to be easier. So I want to invest in things that make my life easier. And it's still too much of a pain in the ass to buy insurance. And I have to buy it all the time. So like it should be bundled in with other stuff, A. And then B, just like the experiences still aren't good enough. Like there's still... I'm still answering all these questions that I don't need to be answering. Like just pull the damn information from public records. Like why, like if I give you my address, there are all these data points about my house that you should already know. Why do I have to type that in? That's a waste of my time. So I I think just like better product direct to consumer and with better data is
0: like sort of the intersection of what I like to see. What are the analogies for the types of big companies that, can be built in insurance or are being built right now is it like an Expedia for an insurance is like, you know, what are the different types of,
1: so, so we, we operate a hybrid model. Um, and and the reason that we do that is, you know, our product experience stays the same. The paper may be different. Uh, but we know that our customers are going to span the entire spectrum of high risks to, to preferred customers. So our bet is effectively, Hey, like we have a very good understanding of who's competitive, where, um, because we work with 30 carrier partners and we also have a pretty good understanding of who's mispriced. Our objective is basically to look at where the mispricings are, stand up uh, a product to accommodate those particular customers and make sure that uh, they're happy when they come in through uh, through cover. You know, there are there are certainly, like if you take a look at uh, the Lemons and the Roots, I mean, the general uh, thesis is there is no future working with other insurance companies. It's, go- it's going to have to be a full stack insurance company or as close to that as possible to deliver the product experience that Shield's describing. We'll see. I mean, like, I, it's, it's very possible that that's the case. Uh, and in that case, it's, you know, the, the overarching goal of any insure tech at this point is it should be build exceptional product and build cu- exceptional customer service experiences around that product, uh, and go from there because everything, like, after the after you make a request is very mechanical. It's just uh,
2: you know uh, money effectively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about at all is health, and it's actually just a note. Mm-hmm. It's an entirely separate beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so different, like and so policy linked. So policy linked, yeah. and has a lot more to do with like negotiations with the providers and all this stuff that doesn't play into like. What we're talking about is financial products, so that's why health is entirely out of this discussion.
0: And it, it, is it also out of discussion in the sense of you don't look really look to invest in it? No, too much of a beast. Oscars already.
2: I have an investment in the health side, but it's it's not actually health insurer. It's like a company that builds a SaaS tool for health for health
0: insurers. Yeah. What about pet insurance? Ben Matthews at Bessemer. Mm-hmm. has been saying there's a big opportunity pet insurance. I hope I didn't blow yeah, up the spot.
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's um, you know, there's true Pena, there's pets best, there's a whole bunch of these guys that exist and actually the margins are better than PNC, certain like traditional PNC certainly. The future of that business is probably gonna be tied to growing the market by linking it linking the product to like employer benefits. Uh, direct to consumer pet insurance and even point of sale pet insurance, if veterinarians, is pretty yeah. pretty saturated. Yeah. Uh, there is certainly money to be made, but even even now, folks like True are accepting higher loss ratios, meaning they're lowering their prices to pick up you know more of a relatively small market. But this is I mean, the generic theme here is specialty insurance. Um, you know, jewelry is another one of these these examples of incredibly high margin businesses. Wow. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Jewelers Mutual, which does specialty jewelry insurance, runs at a loss ratio of something like 32 to 35% per year. Meaning that for every dollar they pull in, they pay only 32 to 35 cents out in claims. Uh, and if you take a look at their expense ratio, which you alluded to earlier in this conversation, that's sitting at like 45 to 49%.
2: Meaning they're selling jewelry insurance from their yachts. That I don't understand because yeah. your renters or homeowners insurance policy yeah. largely yeah. covers. Yeah.
1: It. I mean there are again, there are like structural reasons for this. Like so if, for example, if you got a renter's policy or a homeowners policy and you added like the the articles personal article splitter for your, your jewelry and you made a claim, yeah. that's a ding against your homeowner's policy. Yeah. Right? If you make two claims against your homeowner's policy, there's basically no admitted insurance market in the United States that'll take you. Right. And again, the average consumer has no idea that this, this is actually the case. But if you're, if you're going to go get a standalone policy, like a, like a jewelers mutual policy, that's completely separate from, uh, from your homeowners that it won't affect, it won't adversely affect your rates. Again, stupid structural reasons for this stuff. They, they should be entirely decoupled. So it's certainly an opportunity specialty, but it's not how people actually think about getting insurance, right? Like, Mm Uh, the reason that we, a, a big part of our business is auto insurance and then home insurance after that. The reason, the reason that we even focus on auto insurance is it tends to be the thing that people shop the most and it makes a material part of their after tax income on an annualized basis. Yeah. So they, so they get auto insurance, uh, and ideally you're picking up pretty good risks that our cumulative assets, like, like we are, uh, and then you upsell to homeowners insurance. Um, uh, and as you know, people have kids, uh, and they have, you know, dependents, uh, you get term life insurance. And then as they accumulate other exposure assets, you, you pick up umbrella. And like, that's the arc in insurance. That's why state farm is what state farm is, uh, starts off with auto, moves into the other stuff, but that the, the specialty line
2: stuff, jewelry,
1: all that stuff tends to be sold at the end.
2: Yeah. This is, there's this like notion that insurance is sold, not bought. That's actually not true for auto. Auto is bought and then the others. Is... And can you
0: pack the sold, not bought with any of that?
2: Yeah. So people think that like, insurance like somebody has to come to your house and sell you this thing it's not something that, like you go out and seek but actually for auto it is something that you go out and seek like it ter- you ter- turns over relatively frequently home like typically people buy it when they buy a home it's mandated to get a mortgage and then often don't change unless they're in a coastal state which has which they get kicked off or, or risk uh, or premium goes up significantly Um so the average homeowner's insurance policy is like six and a half years yeah
0: can you unpack a little bit with cover how you've thought about go-to-market, You talk a little bit about it, but and how that evolved over time since you started to?
1: Yeah. So when we started, our initial hypothesis was that we'd be selling a lot more specialty and personal articles floaters than we actually ended up doing. And it makes up about 20% of our business now, but the vast majority of it is auto and home. So what you'll see is, so we do direct-to-consumer, we acquire on our account, we don't buy leads, we don't do any of that. Folks will give us 360 views of their cars, they'll walk us around their houses uh to document their property and then we will program programmatically market them across the country. Mm-hmm. That that is typically like the 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 way that we enter is usually the vector of attack is predominantly auto and home. The responsiveness to other lines of business, people just tend not to care. And that's very true of ter- like term life insurance, that's very true of jewelry, that's very true of pets. They're you know, the stylized example of term life like you really only think about life insurance when you have a kid. Like that's really that that window is super narrow. Which makes CACs astronomically high, though it makes it relatively challenging if everyone's just considering, yeah. you know, the entry point of that. And so now, now we've like shifted this to, you know, shifted our model to being, Hey, fine. We know what people buy from us. We want to make sure we deliver an exceptional customer experience so that when they're ready to be in, when they're thinking about these other lines of business, we're the port of first call, right? So we sell a lot of auto and home. Uh, eventually we'll sell term life because, Typically speaking, you're going to go back to the person you bought insurance from um,
0: by Trim Life. What are the most clever distribution strategies or customer acquisition strategies that you've seen startups I'll
1: tell you about some of mine. If you go to driving.cover.com, uh, this is one of a couple of these things. Like we we generally speaking take a portfolio go with a lot of it's paid, but a lot of it is like actually building product and services that help build top of the funnel for us. So, so if you go to driving.cover.com, we actually built a virtual defensive driving school that we give away for free. So, and and the the impetus behind this is fairly straightforward. If you go to like defensive driving school, you're trying to do one thing, that is like, you know, get rid of a ticket, like bring the price of your insurance down. You get like like a ten percent or fifteen percent discount. And you know, if you were to if you were to Google defensive driving school now, you'll see that these courses cost anywhere between like forty nine and one hundred fifty dollars to take. We and it's largely just a like a pre produced script that we give away for free now. Uh, and then apply that discount to folks who are who are actually interested in shopping for insurance. Uh is is a, cra- a crazy long story as how this came about, but the crux of it is this. I basically put in a call uh to the regulatory body that handles um defensive driving school and drivers ed in Texas and learned that there were 480,000 people uh in Texas that had taken a defensive driving course over the last course of the last 18 months. That's a material. That's a huge number of people uh, who are searching uh, for you know these types of courses. And as a technology company, we need to be focused on what are the things that we can give away for free. As a technology company at scale, uh, and offer value before we even ask for the insurance transaction to happen, mm-hmm. right? You know, analogously, there are tons of reports that are run uh, by insurance companies that are related to your driver history or your vehicle history. All of these things, again. You know, should belong to the end customer because they're related to the end customer. Why are
2: they not just given away?
0: Yeah. What sort of new categories could you imagine emerging as uh, things we insure in the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like the the typical one people talk about is drones. I, I tend to think it's not a big enough opportunity, but there there can be a company built there. I don't think it's going to be a, a multi billion dollar company. People, there there are a bunch of categories people talk about as like growing rapidly. So. Drones, maybe, maybe not be. Cyber insurance is one we have not covered at all in this podcast. So cyber insurance has grown tremendously, but from a really small base. And it's still actually just too small of a market.
0: Cyber insurance, like if I get hacked?
2: Yeah. Yeah, So really, it's not like if a big company gets hacked, which the crazy thing is this is happening all the fucking time. (laughs) And Um, it's, it's such an underpriced market. Uh, yeah if,
1: if you're in a market for cyber you should just buy it. It's it's cheap no matter how you look at yeah, it. Yeah,
2: because the yeah, one of my companies, one of my companies actually predicted the the Marriott breach, which is kind of cool. Wow. It's called Cyberrate mm-hmm. and they had sent a report out to a bunch of reinsurers with high risk companies and they basically assessed the external risk of a company and Marriott was like dark red risk wow. and uh, this was like several months ago. Before it happens, so it's kind of cool. I wonder if hackers look at that and be like, hmm.
0: Yeah, never <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> they cause the, the hack. So yeah, will there be insurance if I lose my Bitcoin private keys or like crypto? Yeah. Uh, hacker consulting firm. Yeah, totally. yeah.
2: Um. So so cyber, I think like will continue to grow, but I just think like we're starting from a small base. People don't adequately understand it, yeah. and uh, like Karin said, like we don't know how to price it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the natural, um, you can't underprice and under, Well, you don't want to be underpricing an underpriced market to pick it up.
2: I, I think it'll eventually become very clear
1: that this is a thing that people need to buy, but prices yeah. will certainly rise.
2: I, and I think it'll factor into other parts of our, like, it won't just be selling cyber insurance for cyber insurance sake. It it might be like a part of our homeowner's insurance as well. Stuff like that.
0: In a world in which Augur or prediction markets or decentralized applications become mainstream, could we be like insuring a lot more things? Is that possible? If the friction to...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how much consumer behavior is going to change, right? Like, you know, you, you insure your home because it's like the, typically speaking, the most valuable thing that, you know, you have a claim on, uh, and you'd be, remiss if you weren't covering it off. And then your your car is like your second most valuable thing. And then you you get term life insurance in case, God forbid something happens to you and you need to cover off your kids. Right? Well and
2: then we didn't talk about your third most popular thing, which is the largest insurance product that has come out in the past in our lifetimes, it's AppleCare. Yeah. So you yeah. right. So so these there's a difference between warranty and insurance. Yeah. Apple Care is actually both, but and actually, by the way, if you are an Apple Care user, you should switch to Jetty. I talked about renters insurance not being a great business, but actually Jetty covers everything that Apple Care covers and has you go to Apple for it, but it's cheaper. So if you're using Apple just get Jetty okay.
1: Renters Insurance. Or if you're using Apple just go to Assurant, which is what Apple Care is. <laughs> so uh I mean Apple's not internalizing that risk. So
0: if you were starting a company today in the insurance space and you'd had any set of skills you wanted, what company might you start? Oh, that's a good question. Or how would you approach it? I might
2: do something on the capital
0: market side. So like we've talked about,
2: there are a lot of companies attacking the distribution side of things. There are companies that are attacking distribution and a bit of underwriting, not much, it's unclear whether the underwriting is, is good enough yet. On the capital market side, a lot of the stuff that Karn was talking about earlier, like the industry structure. I think can be changed if somebody took a deeper look at the underwriting. And so one of the things could be kind of second I think you mentioned ledger. Um so ledger is if you think about how lending club is a way for it was originally called peer-to-peer peer-to-peer lending an individual can buy your lending risk. So the same could be true in insurance where like somebody could buy your insurance risk, but maybe not yours but like a collection of peoples And so a marketplace could be set up where your insurance risk is sold to other people and this could go on and on. So that's an opportunity I think still exists. It'd be very difficult to do, but I think I think could be done. Yeah.
1: I, I think, uh, look, I'm still an ardent believer that if you own the customer, you own the lifeblood of the insurance business. And so, you know, if you're trying to create a lot of value in this space very quickly, you should focus on distribution and underwriting. There are hundreds of admitted insurance companies in the United States that are low-key billion-dollar businesses that focus on a sliver, right, of of a overall PNC market.
2: Yeah. To uh, to Karn's point, 49 of the Fortune 500 companies are insurers.
0: Wow.
1: We're direct to consumer, um, and we're personal lines specifically. So auto home and everything else you can take a picture of. Um, commercial, uh, is even more broken than personal lines insurances. Uh, and the margins tend to be higher though. The absolute, you know, premium volumes tend to be lower. Uh, there are folks like M Broker who are sending up their own insurance products at this point. Obviously next insurance has raised a gargantuan around to start like building yeah. out, uh, commercial products that, you know, that's, a relatively, you know, underreported on segment, I think, of the insurance space. So there's certainly opportunity there, but again, I think it's as a, you know, a distributor and underwriter of that insurance, rather than trying to build on top of this mess uh, that is that are incumbents in that space.
0: Yeah, for people for very talented technologists listening in who are trying to do something distribution or underwriting or, uh, I guess, what would be your sort of request for startups or maybe your advice uh, in terms of how to approach. Whether it's go to market or distribution or, or even getting started.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so look, I think um, there's plenty of opportunity, whether it's distribution, underwriting, claims management, regulatory. There, there are all these discrete businesses, there's these discrete functions where you can create value. I think you you're just gonna have to figure out what. Plays best to your skill set. Certainly building pro, sexy products in an unsexy space plays well to my skill set. But if you were, if you're, you know, thinking more in the enterprise, uh, you know, software sales type of frame of mind, then maybe standing up a TPA or something like a snapsheet makes a lot more sense to you. And certainly there's a huge business to be built there. So again, play to your strengths, but there's, there's
2: opportunity across this entire value chain. I think the insurers are increasingly hungry for innovation. So like, there's probably not an opportunity for like multi-billion dollar companies, but there are opportunities for lots of great companies in like policy administration, mm-hmm. claims management, all this kind of stuff. Well,
1: well, talking about policy administration, every single insure tech that I know of has, has gone on to build their own custom. You have to. Administration. They look at, they look at software businesses like Guidewire, which is a multi-billion dollar business. Oh, yeah. And this is, this is Garbage. Yeah,
2: right? <laughs> like, GuideWire was right? one of the first yeah. like venture backed <laughs> success stories in insurance. It, like yeah. went public in two thousand one, and like I think it was backed by like NEA and some other. Uh, so certainly an opportunity to build
1: build it out. But even then, like. Like, what's the, what's the edge? Like, what's your wedge into distributing that kind of product? The way that GuideWire distributes is through consultants like ENY, who, yeah. who have a vested interest in making sure that this, this terrible software, just terribly overpriced software, uh, ends up in the hands of insurance executives. Uh, again, it comes down to what game you want to play and how quickly you think you can, you can ramp in what you're doing.
0: Uh, so looking out five years out, 10 years out, broader how else do you expect the insurance industry to be disrupted
1: sure so so uh, she'll actually alluded to this earlier i think it's going to be services driven or or value added services driven and insurance is going to become increasingly embedded um in other products that technology businesses build and serve up to their customers so if you can find a way to offer value to your customers and it makes sense to include insurance it's probably how it's going to be done yeah. the second piece of this is you know we talked about the seven intermediaries between a dollar of risk being uh, you know, bought and sold, eventually that consolidates and and it's going to be the net benefit of the customer, meaning that of every dollar of premium that's taken in by an insurance entity, a larger part part of that dollar will end up back in the hands of the customer uh, because these entities will be more efficient. And that net-net is a good thing because a lot of insurance products you can view, you know, from the perspective of them being a public utility or a public good. Uh, and I think that overall, that, that will have to happen over time.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see, more insurance embedded in everything. And I think, you know, it makes no sense that we buy things separately from where we insure them. Like it should just be a lot easier process. And in general, I'm looking to make my life easier. So looking at when I buy something, just one click at insurance. One of the most important things that I'm excited about in insurance is all of the companies that I've seen building product. Are all building product that's better for the consumer than what's out there right now. So no what exists is horrible, not only from a usability perspective, but actually the products themselves. So like whole life insurance is a horrible financial product and no startup that I've ever come across is selling whole life insurance. And so that makes me really happy. So the net result of all this is like a better
0: financial life for, for people. And that's cool. Let's close, perhaps, by uh, shouting out our good friend Arjun Sethi, also board member of, right. of Cover. What's uh, what's either your best Arjun story, or where is Arjun uh, add the most value? Uh,
1: so, so Arjun, as you know, is a uh, you know tried and tested operator VC. Mm-hmm. So if you ever you know folks ever have an opportunity to to work with him, uh, he's going to give you the straight goods, no yeah. bullshit. That's that's his value add, uh, and you know he he's been part of our story. Since we started at a YC, yeah. wrote one of the first seed checks into cover, letter series A, letter series B. Um I man I couldn't recommend him highly enough.
0: Yeah. Awesome, dude. Excellent. Great way to close. Uh, for people who uh, enjoy this conversation and want to follow you guys online and stay tuned with what, what's up with cover, where can they do that? Sheel? Or, or any plugs?
2: At P-desi, P-I-T-D-E-S-I on Twitter.
0: Perfect. And stay tuned for more podcast episodes with Sheel. Karn?
1: oh yeah so you can follow cover at, at cover uh or myself at, oh that's great yeah at right? cover <laughs> right man uh, that's great yeah we got them. we got it all and at karn Soroya, uh, awesome on
0: twitter guys thank you so much for coming on the podcast if you're an early stage entrepreneur we'd love to hear from you please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst